Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff, and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one -on -one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the High Performance Mindset. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm grateful that you are here for episode 400. I can't believe it. <laughs> My mind is blown. You know, each week I just focus on the process and I haven't really looked too much at the number until recently. And today I looked up as I was looking at the description of today's episode and I thought, oh my gosh, 400. You know, the podcast actually started from a message from one of you, one of my followers and listeners. And I've been on the local radio here on a country music station, believe it or not, for eight years, every single Monday morning, providing a short positive message. And one of the listeners sent me a message on Facebook uh, in 2015, so six years ago, and said, you know, I love your Monday messages. I tune in each Monday, and I'd love a place that I can go and review them and study them. I love them so much. And you should do a podcast. And I followed her suggestion. We ended up adding interviews each week, and now six years later, over a million downloads, Typically, two episodes each week since 2015, we are here. And I want to thank you so much for listening each and every week. I do this for you. And so I'd love to hear your feedback. Tell me more what you'd like on the podcast. Who would you like me to interview? What topics would you like me to talk more about? Would love to hear from you. And I'm going to give you my personal email. You can send me an email at syndra at syndra campoff.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today in episode 400, I interviewed Dr. Reinhard Meisterjohn, who started Cortex Performance in 2013. He's their lead mental performance coach for their NBA clients, as well as oversees many of the daily business operations. He's a former collegiate basketball player, and he has worked closely with a number of high-level pros and prospects as well as with some of the top coaches and executives in the game. He has provided MBA pre-draft consulting services to multiple organizations, including the Miami Heat, the Utah Jazz, the Milwaukee Bucks, and outside of basketball, Rayner has consulted with clients in numerous other sports, up to the Olympic level. He's a native of Germany and fluent in both English and German. He's a certified mental performance coach with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and has a PhD in sports psychology from the University of Tennessee and a master's degree in counseling from Frostburg State University. I've wanted to have Reiner on the podcast for several years. I had a really in-depth conversation with him and I wanted to have him on the podcast to showcase his work in the MBA and also to help you think about how you might train your mind systematically and proactively. And that's what we talk about in this podcast today. We talk about what is proactive mental training, 
the process he goes through when mentally training a pro athlete, and I want you to think about how you might mentally train yourself as you're listening, how our core beliefs are connected to our performance, the best way to debrief our performance, or we might use the same debrief strategy at the end of our day, and ways that playing in the NBA is different than overseas. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and a review. If you're listening on iPhone, you can just scroll down on the description of the podcast and way at the bottom is a way for you to click and leave us a rating and a review. And if you haven't already, you can join our Facebook community to connect with me. Over on Facebook, just search High Performance Mindset Podcast Community and we'd love to see you over there. Without further ado, let's bring on Reiner. Reiner, I'm so excited that you're here joining us for the High Performance Mindset Podcast. How are you doing there in Charlotte? Doing well. It's been an interesting year, but, uh, you know, still standing. Business is going well and can't complain. That's great. And usually we catch up at the ASP conference. That's where I talked to you last was about a year and a half ago, I suppose, a year and a couple months ago. And I remember uh, learning more about your business there. And I'm really excited just to have you on and um, have you share your wisdom with us. I appreciate you having me. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you're doing right now. Yeah, so my, uh, obviously my background is in, in, in uh, sports psychology, and I run a business called Cortex Performance, where we primarily focus on proactive mental training for basketball. So uh, basketball, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a number of different sports, but basketball is the one I'm most passionate about, and that's where we've, uh, as a company, decided to put our focus these past several years. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I deal with each and every day. And it's become a year round thing. You know, it used to be, you know, more of a, you know, like fall to spring type of thing, but now you got, um, you know, you got the NBA draft in the summertime, you have other leagues, the WNBA plays in the summer, you know, where we're getting more into women's basketball, for instance. So there's a lot of stuff going on that we're getting into and, and I'm loving it, you know, love being my that's own great. boss trying to figure out how to run a business, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. So tell us a bit about your journey to where you are now. You uh, grew up in Germany and then you came over here in 2005, if I got that right. So tell us a bit about how you got to the U.S. and just a little bit more about your background. Yeah, yeah. So 2005 is when I pretty much moved over here permanently. Prior to that, I'd already spent some time in the States, but I'll take you all the way back. So grew up in Germany in a super small, tiny village of about 300 people. And uh, it's interesting, I actually started out in equestrian sports. So my, my dad is big on, on uh, equestrian, uh, on, on show jumping specifically. So that's what okay. I did as a young kid and get pretty good at it. Was, you know, even competing against adults, you know, and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I eventually decided, though, that I wanted to get into basketball because some kids at my school played. So I got into that at about age 13, I want to say. And... That's what then uh, kind of motivated me to come over to the States. So I did like a student exchange program when I was in 11th grade, came over, went to a small high school in Vermont, spent a year out there and you know, I had a chance to play some basketball and, and then go back to Germany, finish up school there. Um, then eventually come back over and um, had a chance to do my undergrad up in Maine. Okay. Uh, went from small school there, you know, played sports for, um, I was able, fortunate that, that I was able to, to finish my degree in three years because I had a bunch of my high school credits transfer in actually. 
Wow. And, um, yeah, and that's when I actually came across sports psychology because I was a psych major and we had a, a sports psych elective one semester. And that, that was probably my, my first formal introduction to the field. So, you know, fast forward from there, you know, went back to Germany, played semi-professionally for a year, did some coaching, okay. came back, did my master's in counseling psychology, and then eventually my PhD in kinesiology and sports psych. And then uh, started my business about three years after that. Yeah, so, so fun. Yeah. So tell us a bit about, you know, I'm just thinking about your work with with basketball players and even pros. I'm specifically thinking about even your experience as a semi-pro. Mm-hmm. What do you think the best of the best do differently? Like, what do you see them doing from a mindset perspective? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I, I wish... We saw as much consistency mentally as we want to see across players. You know, the, the mental part isn't always the reason they make it to that level. But for for players that that you know that uh, sustain a high level of excellence, I, I believe it's you know it comes down to having a process that they can go go to you know each and every day when it comes to you know just finding emotional balance. You know, several of my players uh, have committed to meditation. Uh, gratitude practices just simple you can do to stay even killed in life and then you know manage everything that's coming at you I I also think that those players that that are you know at the top typically have some type of uh, tools that they utilize around games so whether it be you know pre-game routines as I'm Mm -hmm. sure you taught many of your athletes you know visualization Mm -hmm. going in pre-planning for mistakes having specific uh, tools, focus cues, different things to go to mm-hmm. end game, and then also mm-hmm. having a way of processing the game so you don't get mm-hmm. you don't get too caught up in in uh, great or in bad performances because you got to mm-hmm. move on. Especially when I deal with NBA players in particular, they have so many games that you know if you lose a night of sleep, like there's another game waiting for you. You know, right. so you got to figure out to get your rest and recovery mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I think those are some things. And then I think also the, the, the pros that have the most, you know, or the longest and most stable careers are oftentimes the ones that understand how to navigate life off the court and manage, you know, environmental factors, because it does get tricky when, especially once you start making that really big money, you know, right. it does get right. tricky when you're an American player, for instance, that goes overseas and now you're away from your family potentially for nine months out of the year. Um, you know, it's a lot of factors you got to be able to manage just to be able to, to play at a high level for 40 or 48 minutes. A lot of stress that uh, could potentially happen with people asking you for money, <laughs> your family maybe bugging you um, or just and thinking overseas as well. And if you don't have the social support. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about, all right, they have a process. Um, they have tools in the game and then they have like a way to process the game afterwards. Mm-hmm. What do you see them do in terms of process the game and do you have any recommendations on how you think? And I'm just thinking about, we can apply this to sport, but we can also apply this to life, right? You and I perform in some way. So if we have like a, maybe a debrief routine that could be even helpful for us. Yeah, for sure. So 
I take you through our full process real quick because I, I do think with some tweaks, you can actually apply it to everyday life as well. So awesome. one thing that we do with our athletes at the start of our process is we help them develop out their on-court core values. And we typically condense it down to three key areas that the athlete wants to build their identity around. Okay. So going into a game, you know, obviously we have the athlete look at the core values, uh, incorporate uh, those into their, their pre-game visualization, just like you might at the start of the day. You know, you visualize okay. executing your core values and you want to see specifically what that looks like in action, right? So attaching tangible definitions and, and behaviors to it, I, I think is really crucial. Mm -hmm. So pre-game, typically we have our athletes come up with a few short focus cues for that particular contest. So it could be something like compete, you know, just yeah. a simple word that they want to focus on and emphasize okay. that game along with okay. the behavioral definition. Post game, we, we have the athlete come back and essentially uh, rate themselves on their core value execution across their, their, their three core values. And then also on their uh, mental game or their game plan execution, so to speak. So if they had two or three focus cues going into the game, they rate themselves on how well they feel like they executed that game plan, which is typically built around controllable factors. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, from, from there, we like doing a quick, we call it an S3 analysis. So strengths, struggles, and strategies. So okay. we, have, we have them identify a few things that they did well a few okay. things, a few areas that they feel they struggled in or mm -hmm. definitely want to improve in uh, towards yeah. the next game. And then we have them kind of pre-plan their strategies, which essentially corresponds with the, uh, the pre-game uh, focus cue setting, so to speak. So that way you have continuity game to game and you have a way of kind of looking back and also seeing how you did over the past five games, for instance. And, and we're actually in the process, I'd add this real quick, we're in the process of actually uh, partnering with a tech company to where athletes are gonna be able to just jump into a, into a web platform or an app real quick, pregame and postgame, and they have it all in one place, you know? Awesome, that's great. And what I really like about that is that it is focused on the process and it's focused on, you know, how they implemented their core values. I didn't hear you say anything about goals, you know, like, uh, and uh, maybe, you know, uh, I'm thinking about how sometimes particularly high school athletes might go into a game and they might be focused on how many, you know, how many shots they want or yeah. points they want to score, right? But if it's like implementing your core values, that's controllable. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think as far as goal setting, we, we, we do use it selectively, I would say. So, so athletes that benefit from, from statistical goals, we, we certainly incorporate that into the definitions of their pregame focus cues. So, you know, being, so if, again, if compete or like, or be aggressive, if one of those is, is one of your pregame cues, then a behavioral goal that might go along with that or a statistical goal could be to score at least 10 points. Now, some athletes, it gets yeah. in the way of their confidence if they don't reach that goal, as you know, right? right. And that's where right. we, we might still set uh, more tangible process goals that are not as much about whether or not the ball goes in, but maybe, you know, maybe a goal is to attack the paint at least five times per half, you know, or to at least accumulate, you know, 30 positive touches as far as connecting with teammates. You know, again, making yeah. the mental game as specific as possible, but then also 
allowing for some flexibility depending on you know to what degree does that level of specificity actually benefit the individual athlete because it's all personality driven yeah excellent how would you describe kind of your philosophy of mental training yeah so we we look at it in terms of what we use three terms so one proactive secondly it should be personalized and and Mm -hmm. thirdly it should be systematic and so what i mean by proactive is that you know we want our athletes to look at 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 the mental game just like they do with with strength conditioning it's essentially strength conditioning for the mind it's something that you engage in uh, regularly and not just you know when you're in a slump or something like that Mm -hmm. you know as you know too many athletes still come to us only when they're you know struggling with confidence or they're going through a slump or like something is going wrong with their coach or something like that so right. proactive you know uh, the second part is personalized in, in the sense that we we uh, do personality assessments with, with our athletes on the front end then we like i said we develop out customized core values for them and we want to have a really intricate understanding of what matters to the athlete well what, what, what are you know, the things that really pull on them in terms of motivation. What are the things that really matter for them? What is their vision for their career, you know? Um, And then lastly, systematic just simply means that, you know, you do those evaluations, you you meet weekly or whatever the case may be, that there's a certain structure to it and a way of, you know, measuring uh, progress in a way, as as tough as it is in our field, admittedly, but, Mm -hmm. you know, again, there there is a, uh, you know, a kind of a very specific process to it that uh, we we don't really see enough, in my opinion, in in, in the field of mental training, you know, too too often it's still reactive and just sort of, you know, the intuitive part is important, but it's, it's not how I envision it, if that makes sense. You know, I always like yeah. the metaphor that always comes to mind for me is, and I've actually, like, I've talked to NBA organizations about, you know, their hire of a sports site person and, you know, I ask them, hey, like, so what does this individual actually do for you guys? You know, and they're like, sure. well, you know, he, uh, he or she, they, they mostly just hang out in case somebody wants to talk. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, like, would you tell your strength and conditioning coach that you're paying you know, $200,000 right. a year just to hang out in the weight room in case somebody wants to get a lift in. Right. Really good point. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the issues is that it is hard to measure, right? And there's so many variables that impact performance. And, you know, I also think that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> so what do, what are your thoughts on, let's say if you were having a conversation with a the front office person in, in the NBA team, how do you think we could, we could measure our work and the impact? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question it, and it's a complicated answer. And I'm not sure there is one that's as clean as we all want it to be because a lot of what we do, it's more, you know, like an athlete, you know, I've certainly had athletes that I, you know, they come in and they lack confidence. They don't enjoy playing anymore, Right. whatever. Right. And then, you know, maybe a couple of months later, they're like, well, I feel great out there. You know, things are going right. well. Like I'm loving my sport again, but it doesn't mean that their points per game is going up necessarily. Exactly. You know? But their happiness has increased and their confidence, you know, <laughs> right. their being in general. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that that's where I think uh, self-assessment is, is useful as well. You know, the athlete says, well, this month 
I'm a, you know, eight out of 10 in terms of my confidence when I was only six out of 10 last month, you know, yeah. now, I mean, it's meaningful, you know, maybe it's not yeah. meaningful in the, in the way that we want to do a, you know, a research study around it, but mm-hmm. it's meaningful to the athlete. In other cases, obviously you can, you can see tangible increases in statistical numbers, but there's also a lot of confounding variables. So I'm always really hesitant to claim or to take credit for an athlete's improving in a certain area because maybe you know during the stretch that they improved you know that maybe they put in extra time with their shooting coach and the shooting coach really helped them so right yeah yeah tricky tricky subject tricky and so thanks for just being open (laughs) with your thoughts on that (laughs) also a bit about your work kind of in the pro basketball space and I'm specifically thinking about like what do you think a pro basketball player needs from the mental game yeah, what do I need from the mental game? I think they need consistency from the mental game because as a professional athlete, and especially in a, you know, in a high visibility sport uh, here in the U.S. in particular, you know, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, you do need consistency. You do need a process. Uh, and you do need for the, the mental game to be tangible. You know, I think that's really important. Like yes. us as, as, as um, you know, mental, mental performance coaches, we need to be able to give athletes, give, give professional players in particular, hands-on tangible things that they can go to, whether it be, yeah. you know, like I said, a 10-minute visualization routine to do pregame or specific focus cues that they can write on their shoe during the game and look at and it automatically triggers uh, certain behaviors and actions. And um I think that's where we really got to be careful not to be too philosophical and too fluffy with, yeah. with what we do, you know, because a lot of, especially with the NBA, where again, like there's so many games, yeah, we don't have a lot of time. So the stuff we give them, they got to be able to do something with it. Right. Yeah. And I also think about my own experience, you know, as a, as a college athlete myself and ran cross country and track and there's a point my um, sophomore year that I really struggled mostly with my own confidence and just letting go of a poor race that I kept on kind of replaying in my own mind. And I saw a sports psychology practitioner and it was great, but I didn't know what to do afterwards, you know? So I am very tangible, sometimes um, too tangible, I think, because I didn't get it, you know? And it was just like, okay, I don't know about all this stuff here, you know? Like, just tell me what to do, you know? <laughs> That's what I needed. So uh, I appreciate that perspective. What are your thoughts on the difference between um, kind of consulting with players who are in the U.S. versus overseas? Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of my favorite topics, you know, and one of my fa- favorite uh, parts of my, my job now is to, you know, have, I mean, I, I have a number of players in, like, whether it be in the NBA or college here in the States and whatnot, WNBA, but then we also have players kind of all over Europe, and again, having grown up in Europe, I have a kind of a different appreciation for it. So I think for a lot of players, you know, U.S. players, for instance, uh, going over, getting accustomed to a new culture and, and figuring out the language barrier in some cases, I think that's really fascinating. The, the game is played a little bit differently, so that can lead to uh, some challenges early on. You know, travels might be called differently. Your minutes might look different. You know, you could go over there and be a 
star player, you know, and like here in the US, we know if you're a star player in the NBA, you're probably going to play, you know, upwards of 32 minutes a game and you would probably score 20 plus points. You know, over in, in, in Europe, you might be a star player on a team and play 20 minutes a game and maybe score 15. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's more team oriented there, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think that's a, that's a big difference. Um, in terms of status, I, I don't think, you know, you're, you don't, like you don't receive the same type of recognition as an individual or playing overseas as you do in the States, whether it be at the college okay. or at the pro level. Mm -hmm. um, I think being away from family is a big deal for a lot of athletes that go over. Yeah. So if you can't, in some cases, you, you can, you know, obviously take your family, you know, if you're, if you have kids, if you're willing to take them out of school and maybe put them in a local school or if they're young and they're not in school yet, you know, that's one thing. But if you have older kids that already are established in, in, in their local school system, you know, now you're not going to see them for most of the year, right? And, and now you got to figure out how to use technology and different things. And it's tough, you know, this year I've had, a, I've had athletes, uh, I'm thinking of one particular that, that uh, went out to Eastern Europe and because of COVID, he's not married, but he's in a, in a serious relationship with a kid. His family yeah. hasn't been able to come over because they're not married. Right. You know, the country just doesn't allow it. So mm. it's extremely, extremely difficult, you know? What are the percentages of, um, you know, the people that maybe play overseas that actually make it to the NBA? Ah, wonderful question. I, I wish I had an answer for that. Mm -hmm. It's, um, I almost don't even look at it like that anymore. You know, it used to be that everybody just wanted to go to the NBA. And, you know, sometimes we deal with young prospects now that are looking to make that jump. And it's extremely difficult. I mean, the percentage of, players in, in the U.S., even at the college level, that make it to the NBA is incredibly small, like a right. one or two percent or something like that. I mean, it's yeah, it's nothing. But um, now we actually see that a lot of players that have been in the NBA end up going to Europe by choice because they can make more money or they can make more play right. or get more playing time. Okay. So it's a bit more of a mix. I mean, you can probably take, say, like the quote-unquote like bottom – 50 or 100 players in the NBA and just swap them out with, with like the top 50 or 100 that, that, are, that are playing overseas. And yeah. it's not going to be much of a difference. I mean, basketball yeah, that, is global now. So. And I, I, you, you had mentioned COVID and I'm curious when you think about the athletes that you're working with now or the coaches, you know, there's just a lot of differences in the game in terms of all well, fans can't be there, right? Their, their family can't necessarily travel. Um, what are you seeing in terms of kind of the toll that it's put on athletes and their ability to be resilient or bounce back? It's been really tough, I would say, on, on a lot of athletes because even when things are not going well off the court and, you know, you're, you know, away from family and you're in a foreign culture, like if you're a first year player, you're in a foreign culture and you're not really that comfortable, you know. Um, yeah. Basketball is the one thing you can typically rely on. Now this year, I've had a number of players that uh, that had games canceled and that had to go into quarantine because they tested positive or where, you know, um, games got canceled, like kind of scratched at the last minute or something like that. I mean, it's, it's just been a mess. You know, it's been a real mess overall. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been really hard. So I, I felt myself doing a lot more kind of life skills uh, coaching and counseling, if you will, uh, this sure. season. 
you know, and a little bit less uh, performance based. Yeah, right. Because if they're they have a lot of stress and, and anxiety in general, it's um, you know I think it's almost impossible not to bring that to the court in some way. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you also uh, do some work in, in the kind of uh, draft, in the pre-draft. So tell us a bit about that work and what do you see those athletes need or just tell us a bit more about what you do there. Yeah, so we've been uh, doing this for about the past four or five years now with, with uh, different NBA organizations. We're starting to get into the WNBA space a little bit, which, which is really exciting. And what we do for organizations typically, and it's looked different differently for different uh, different organizations, but kind of a full scale approach would typically include a combination of uh, doing personality assessments with, with, with the players that come through, um, along with one on one interviews that I conduct just to understand them at a personality level, understand them at a mental game level in terms of what are some of the skills and tools that players have, what are some of the struggles that they go through, what are some of the resources that they um, have thought about or have utilized. Um, we're also starting to look more at bringing in athletic intelligence testing. So looking at yeah. things like reaction time and, and processing speed and whatnot, memory. Okay. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, the idea is to form as comprehensive of a picture as you can. Uh, as far as who an athlete is. And then we also always look at the cultural context. So okay. what is the organizational culture and what are players mm -hmm. that they uh, like based on, you know, based on, on, on their head coach, for instance, or based on how they want the, the organization to, to be perceived, you know? Um, so that's been really fascinating because, you know, to, to, us as it, to us, it's not really as much about is somebody good or bad mentally, but it's more so about, you know, are they the right fit for an organization? And if they end up okay. there, what's, okay. what are the resources you get to put around them to maximize their, their, their uh, mental performance? Yeah, that's great. Can you give us an example without saying names of like, you know, maybe what an organization, the culture, and maybe how it's not a good fit for an athlete or is a good fit? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and I, I can just say, because you know, yeah, we've dealt with the, with the Miami Heat some and, and without okay. getting, you know, like, you know, going into too much detail on internal stuff with them. But, but everybody knows, everybody that follows basketball knows that, that Miami likes players that are, that are tough, that are nasty, that like to compete, that, that love to practice, which is not something that's being done in the NBA a whole lot, to be honest, you know, okay. um, players that are smart and unselfish. So we, we look for those type of attributes to, you know, determine whether or not somebody is the right, is the right fit, you know? Um, so what I've learned, you know, in, in doing this process with, with different organizations is that while some organizations like players that are, you know, really polished in a way, you know, other organizations prefer guys that are maybe a little bit rougher around the edges and come with okay. a toughness and have maybe been through some hard stuff in life that's shaped their character, you know? Yeah, I could see how that's so powerful because then you're really helping the athletes get to a place where they can thrive and be successful versus a place where, you know, that they, they it isn't set up for them to really be at their best. Right, right. Fit is such a big deal in, in, in sports, period. It really is, and it's so overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I wonder from a coach's perspective and a GM's perspective, they might be thinking about that, but 
you and me who are just watching the game, you know, it's probably not something uh, that we necessarily consider. Tell us a bit about how you might work with coaches and what role do you think that coaches play in just like, you know, mental training in general? I think they play a big role. So essentially their performance as well, you know, just like we yeah. all are. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we do with coaches is we, uh, you know, if they're open to it, take them through a personality assessment as well and try to understand, you know, what, what drives them motivationally, you know, what are the things that make them tick? What are the, the, the things that, that really, you know, make up their value system and their identity as a coach? And how much flexibility is there within that, right? And then we look at, well, if this coach's personality is that way, what does it mean yeah. for, you know, working with this type of player or that type of player? You know, where, like, what's the right type of fit? And if it's not a clean fit, you know, how can a player and a coach uh, complement each other? How can different coaches on the staff complement one another? And where are the, the places where there might be some friction and disagreement? Because, Look, at the end of the day, Senator, you know, we, we all have our own value system and it feels yeah. right to us. So we automatically have a tendency to want to apply that to everybody else. Yeah. And I think that it, what I like about what you said is, all right, the coach better understands themselves, right? Where they understand their personality, their values, their identity. And I, I don't think very many people kind of take a step back and really spend time getting to know themselves very much and maybe do a values assessment or consider what's, what's part of their identity. How do they want to shape their identity intentionally? Right, right. Mm -hmm. if, I can, if I can add this real quick, like, yeah, of course. I think self-care is, is such a big deal as well when, when it comes to professional sports periods. So I know in the, in the NBA, there's way too many coaches that, that deal with uh, sleep deprivation, you know, that that's a huge issue, you know, drinking too much, you know, you're constantly out on social functions, team dinners, you know, meeting this person, meeting that person, having a glass, glass of wine here, a couple of beers there, it's, yeah. uh, it adds up and, and, you know, it's poisonous, you know, for your uh, mental and physical health. And it, it's, it's really rough on the families as well, because these coaches are already stressed out as is. And so when you make bad choices on top of that, it just exacerbates it. Yeah. I am thinking about how there's a rise in like drinking in general during COVID. People are kind of using that as maybe a stress relief, which isn't good. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you give us some examples of, you know, when you're talking about identity and values, what are you seeing some of the athletes that you work with? What do they say their values are? or uh, a little bit more about how they might consider their own identity. I'm just trying to kind of helping people understand a little bit more in depth. Yeah, so starting with the personality assessment, that's where we look at things like, you know, to what degree does an individual value being independent versus interdependent? You know, to mm -hmm. what degree do they mm -hmm. value being structured and routine-oriented versus kind of going with the flow and being more spontaneous? Um, there are a number of categories that we look at with that, but ultimately when it comes to the core values, we, we uh, you know, typically find that athletes um, tend to identify with things like competitiveness, aggressiveness, yes. toughness, you know, though that's typically one bucket that stands out. The second bucket that uh, stands out when, when we kind of condense their core values down that they initially map out on paper, the second one that stands out is 
along the lines of, you know, focus, uh, like being locked in, being yeah. uh, smart with my decision making, you know. And then a third bucket typically um, has to do with, you know, be like your, your presence, your body language, your communication, your leadership, well, whatever you might want to call it, but it's, it's, about, it's, it's about the way you act, um, you know, on and off the court say those all of those traits I'm thinking well you know typically to be a really good basketball player you need all those <laughs> so perhaps they develop them over time right and that can look differently for for different players I think you know mm -hmm. um yeah I think that, that that's important to understand as well when, when you think about coaches and when you even think about our roles so you might have you know two players that that are both competitive but for one their competitiveness is driven by their sense of you know, vengeance, like wanting to get back at their opponent. For the other player, their competitiveness, they, they might not care about vengeance whatsoever, but their competitiveness might be driven by a, like feeling a sense of responsibility towards their teammates or towards their family that's put them in a position to be a pro player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All this sounds really good. I'm thinking about how did you develop all of this, <laughs> you know, in terms of like your assessments and uh, I'm just so grateful that you spent some time talking with us today. Uh, tell us how you've been doing and how you've been um, just weathering the storm of COVID and, and maybe you've had to change and adjust your business too. Yeah, I appreciate the question. It's, uh, it's, it's been a tough time in, in some ways and a real opportunity in other ways. So I feel like when, when uh, you know, COVID first started, I was pretty down for, I'd say the first week or so, you know, cause sure. all of a sudden everything comes to a halt. Like all my, yeah. we watch a lot of games for our clients, you know, all that stops. Like everything is just stopped. And you're like, man, like how, how are we gonna make money now? You know, right. And, right. and obviously you worry about your clients as well, you know, cause right. uh, they're in right. a tough spot. But then pretty quickly, we, we kind of shifted and started looking at opportunities in terms of, well, how can we best support our clients right now? How can we use it as a growth opportunity? How can we uh, take another step forward with the business? So we went through a whole rebrand recently, which has been ongoing for a while, you know, building a new website and, you know, different things like that. Um, looking at just doing more networking, reaching out to folks, you know, doing podcasts like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh you know, it's been, it's been like from a business perspective, it's actually been a very, very good year for us. Once we figured out how to shift our focus, personally, yeah. I'll say it's it's kind of up and down to to be honest. Like I, I do a pretty good job. I want to say, kind of living what we preach in terms of doing my daily meditation, exercising, different things like that. But you know, it is some days just feel really heavy. You know, and you yeah, just feel like right. stuck in the house, and you just want to get out. You want to travel. You want to see people. It's been hard in some ways. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Uh, kind of similar. <laughs> I would say, you know, my mood last year was pretty high and pretty consistent. And um, I am just used to traveling a lot and moving around a lot and going places. And so it's been a little difficult for me just kind of being home and virtual. Um, I have two boys that are online school now, you know, with our schools being closed. So but at the same time, just like you, you know, adjusted and adapted my own business. And there's so many things to be grateful for, you know, and I sort of feel like when I say that, it's like, wow, that's a first world problem. You know? <laughs> and but ha but have had to, uh, 
use my own mental strength and my own tools a lot, <laughs> maybe a lot more this year than typical. Yeah, yeah. Well, Reiner, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Tell us how people can reach out to you and your website. Yeah, so our website is cortexperformance.com. So it's C-O-U-R-T-E-X performance.com. Uh, yeah, Instagram at Cortex Performance. Um, you, can, you can reach me actually on, on our uh, business line, 865-323-8570. And people can also reach out directly via email to Reiner, R-A-I-N-E-R, at cortexperformance.com. Excellent. Well, here are some of the things I really enjoyed about our conversation today. Uh, when I asked you about, you know, what do the best of the best do differently? And you're like, they have a process, they have tools in game, and then they also, uh, you know, debrief the game in a way that's systematic and builds confidence. And I appreciated how you described the ways that you help athletes do that. I was thinking about how we can just do the same kind of process after a day at work um, or a day of a different type of performance. Uh, I also appreciated when you're describing the way you do your work, like helping um, athletes understand their values and their identity um, and just better understanding themselves through the personality assessments. And then when we were talking about um, the U.S. versus uh, overseas and just the differences that an athlete might experience there. So I'm grateful for your time today. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or final advice for people? You know, I mean, first of all, I, I appreciate being here. So thanks again for, for uh, having me. I think the main thing is when it comes to the mental game, like, what, again, whether you're an athlete, you're a coach, you're, you know, a professional or just a person, period, you know, figure out something that gives you a sense of continuity and stability, you know. Again, like whether that's a morning meditation and evening gratitude practice, I'm a big fan of, of having something in place that sort of frames your day and allows you to, you know, but like kind of be your best self within all that, as hard as that's been for all of us lately. But uh, I think that would be my, uh, my main advice. Thank you so much for joining us today, Reiner. Thank you. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.